listening to the podcast of minister, author, blogger, Marilyn Darty. Prepare yourself to fly above what you thought you knew and see things from a different angle. Be blessed by today's message. Magic Earth, written by Marilyn Darty, read by Marilyn Darty. Chapter 6, Mikhail Finds the Trip. Inside the Portal. Sean sat on the dirt floor of what appeared to be a tool shed. He could see the outside through the openings of the boards. It was getting dark, and Sean was worried. He knew by now that his dad would surely know that he had skipped school and that he hadn't returned. He was sure to go to Sean's room and see that he had packed his backpack. The first thing he would look for was Sean's compass, because he knew that piece of equipment was one of Sean's favorites. Sean had never been so homesick and worried that he would never see his father again. He also knew that his dad would be furious at his lack of responsibility, not only for skipping school and lying about being sick, but also for not leaving any sign as to where he was heading. By this time, he was sure that his dad would have the police out looking for him. They would probably scour the woods behind their cabin first, knowing that it would be the first place he would go. To John Drummond and others, Sean was a very talented hiker. He could track game, skin it, and eat it. He could make his own fire with two sticks and a little dry brush, but he preferred to use his flint. Sean also knew how to survive if he got lost in the woods. Most people panic when they get lost, but a survivalist will tell you that the best thing to do is to stay in one spot. If you're constantly moving, it makes it very difficult for people to find you, especially if they're moving slowly so that they can find your tracks. Sean reasoned that his dad would be looking for him to be in one spot. He would be so worried if he couldn't find Sean by daybreak. He could imagine his dad sitting on the bed in his room, worried that he would never see his son again. Sean wanted to cry, but he didn't want to lose control of himself, so he spoke softly to God. God... If you can hear me, please help me. I'm sorry for lying to my dad, and I'll never do it again if you'll just help me. These are evil creatures, and I have no doubt that they mean to hurt me. If you can send this Bethel, please do it, Lord. Let me live to see my dad again. Sean finished his prayer, hoping that God heard him. As the day ended, Sean could see the moon coming out along with the stars. Strange, he thought. Those weren't even their constellations he was looking at. It couldn't be possible. Did he go through some time warp or other dimension? Excuse me, Gabrielle said as she crept quietly up to the shed where Sean was held captive. She startled him. He wasn't expecting company. Sean jumped and held his heart. Phew, you just about scared me to death. Sean was embarrassed. He didn't want this beautiful creature to think he was a coward. "'My apologies, son of man. It was not my intent to scare thee. Should I leave thee alone?' "'No, not at all. Please keep me company. I'm a little bit lonesome in this box, and I'm kind of worried about what the council is deciding right now.' "'Be not worried, son of man. The council hath not met. They have all retired to their homes, and I'm sure that they are fast asleep.' "'What what do you mean? I thought they were supposed to decide what to do with me. I need to get home.' My dad is going to be so worried. You will learn, son of man, that centaurs rarely do what they say and take their time at what they do. They will not be held to any obligation, even if it is to something they must do. Centaurs are their own enemy, Gabrielle replied. 
I'm surprised to hear you talk that way about your father and your people. Sean sounded incredulous. Sean was loyal as a puppy. He couldn't imagine talking about his family in any way that would make them look bad. It is the truth, nevertheless, Gabriella said matter-of-factly. I find it difficult, son of man, to uphold my father in ways that bringeth shame to our people. Where is Prince Mikhail? Sean asked. He is doing what he doth best. He drinketh himself into a drunken stupor. He should be asleep within the hour, Gabriella informed. Asleep, Sean said, thinking to himself. You don't suppose you could help me get out of here, do you? That is why I'm here, son of man. My father and the council will leave thee in this shed for all of eternity. If thou would like to see your animal forks again, thou must be ready to go when the moon sits over the shed. This will allow the rest of our herd to settle in, and the guards will be asleep as well. Thou may ride me to the edge of the forest, and there, Sean Drummond, I hope thou will find thine home. Gabriella left Sean alone. He noticed that it took two hours for the moon to be directly over the top of the shed, and true to her word, she returned with the key to the shed. Thank God you made it back, Sean said, relieved. Gabriella does not lie, Sean Drummond. I intend to be a great leader one day, and I have decided that I must absent myself of all vices. Lying is a terrible sin. It not only affects the one who hears it, but the one who tells it as well, she said as the lock fell away from the door. Then why did your father say that men told lies to Bethel? Your father even admitted that he was a warrior and declares war on others around him. Why does he say that men lie when men told the truth, Sean asked. Because, Sean Drummond, truth is relevant. It is what the one speaking perceives to be true. Men or centaur has their own truth. We all decide which truth we will believe. Sean scratched his head in confusion. For Gabriella to be so young, she certainly had a lot of notions about life, but she certainly was one of the most beautiful creatures he had ever seen. As Gabriella opened the door to the shed, she spoke softly. Quietly, Sean Drummond, climb on my back, and we will take thee home to your magic earth or animal forks or God's garden. Be quick before someone sees us. Gabriella had seen a few men. There had been some prisoners who lived among her people, but she had never seen a man-child so young, perhaps the same age as herself. She couldn't take her eyes off of the two spindly legs attached to the man's body. It was completely foreign to Gabriella. She couldn't understand why her father and the older centaurs ever wanted to be men again. The strong body of the horse was much more superior to the frail creature in front of her. Sean climbed onto the back of Gabriella, and she quickly turned toward the woods without a sound. Sean didn't think it was possible. They rode through the woods in the same direction that they came. But the twilight in the forest was the most beautiful and terrifying scene Sean had ever seen. The forest was alive. Not only the creatures of the night, but the timberland was alive as well. The trees looked as if they had disfigured faces. Some of them looked old with long beards made of Spanish moss and thick eyebrows. Some of their mouths were gaping holes and others were elongated. Their arms were twisted and gnarled with long fingers and nails. They noticed the beautiful golden-haired centaur with a strange boy on her back. Some of them pointed with their spindly fingers and spikes. Their vines grew at such a rate that it almost looked to Sean as if they were chasing them through the forest. God help us, Sean breathed to himself. What didst thou say, Sean Drummond? Gabriella yelled over the hooves, beating the ground, out of breath. Oh, nothing, just praying for a safe journey, he said, 
with a little chuckle, not at all convincing Gabriella that he wasn't scared out of his mind. Gabriella smiled in spite of herself. To her, the woods at night was just as natural as seeing a beautiful butterfly during the bright sunshine, but she had to admit that she herself didn't know what the force would do to her if they were able to catch her. She was just thankful that she had a fast gait. It took another hour of riding when they got to the part of the woods that looked vaguely familiar to Sean. Gabriella slowed and finally rested. Sean could see her body steaming in the moonlight. There was a sound, a twig breaking, as if someone was moving ahead. This is where I must leave thee, Sean Drummond. I am certain that you will find your animal forks just ahead. I dare not go any further for fear of what is ahead of me. I must remain in my forest, and you must go back to yours. Yeah, sure, Sean said, moving his body over the side of Gabriella. Uh, thanks so much, Gabriella. I hope you don't get into trouble over this. Do you think it's going to be okay? Okay? Tell me what thou meanest when thou sayest okay, Gabriella inquired. Uh, sorry, it's just slang that means it's going to be fine. Then yes, Sean Drummond, it's going to be okay, Gabriella said as she pranced on her feet. I must go now, son of man. Make haste, and do not come to the forest of the centaurs again, lest thou be in grave danger. Yeah, thanks for the warning, Gabriella, and thank you for being so kind, Sean said. Gabriella smiled at Sean as she reared up on her hind legs, turning and sprinting in the other direction. Gabriella liked this man. He seemed very kind, and he was pleasing to the eye. She hoped for his sake that she would never see him again. Sean watched the beautiful horse make her way into the thick brush and stood there until he could no longer see or hear her. Sean turned away, heading toward his house and to safety. As Gabriella rode into the camp of their domicile, Prince Mikhail was waiting for her. She slowed her pace and walked to her majestic keeper. "'Did you see where the Son of Man lives?' asked Mikhail. "'Yes, I was successful.' "'Did you hear the trip?' Mikhail inquired. "'Yes, I slowed long enough to hear the twig break.' "'Thou knowest that this is the place where the portal is?' asked Mikhail. "'We have a clear way into the man's home.' "'Gabriella looked down to the ground. "'Well done, Gabriella. "'Thou art invaluable to us today. "'Not many moons from hence we will declare war "'on the men of Animal Forks.'" There was this man who hit another man's parked car. The offender got out of his car and began to write a note. The note said, Everybody's looking at me right now, thinks that I'm leaving my name and address and phone number. I'm not. Good luck. You know, that's kind of kind of funny because the man knew it, even if someone didn't look at him, he knew the right thing to do. As we listen to these messages, Marilyn has asked us at times if we feel led, give a monetary gift to her as a blessing. If you're like me, you felt it. And I have given to her because I know that as we do, we are sowing a seed into a woman of God that has a calling on her life for such a time as this. And and I don't have to explain to you, if you've heard any of her podcasts at all, you understand that the Lord has been given her words for this season that we're in. And I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do through her in these times that we're living in. If you would like to give a monetary gift to Marilyn Darty, you can do this at paypal.me forward slash Marilyn Darty. Venmo her, Marilyn-Darty-1, or go to Amazon.com and check out the books that she has available. 
Her website is MarilynDarty.com. There you can read her blogs, find out more information about what's going on now. That's MarilynDarty.com. D-A-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. Chapter 7, A Big Surprise for Animal Forks, the year 2049. Taylor Jones arrived at the Animal Forks High School gymnasium where the town meeting was scheduled in an hour. It was the only building in town large enough to accommodate the large crowd that they were expecting. Most of the citizens of Animal Forks were responsible citizens when it came to voting and obeying the laws. They would be out in full force tonight. As Taylor walked up to the glass doors of the building, he could see that he wasn't the only one to get there early. The building was already full, and the maintenance man was scurrying, trying to find additional chairs to seat everyone. Taylor knew that there would be a lot of people standing tonight. When he walked into the large auditorium, he was greeted by several of his constituents, as one after the other shook his hand and thanked him for the new trolley system, or tried to set up a meeting with their daughter since he was such an eligible bachelor. Taylor tried to work himself through the crowd as quickly as possible. He needed to tweak the schedule and make sure all connections were ready between Animal Forks and the Vatican. This was going to be a total surprise to the fine folks of Animal Forks. He couldn't believe his luck to have the ear of the most important and powerful man in the world. As the hall was filling up, the noise and excitement in the large room was intoxicating. It seemed that everyone was looking forward to their first town meeting held by Mayor Jones. This mayor had been one of the most progressive leaders whom the fine folks of Animal Forks had had in a long time. It seemed that he knew just what to do with their valley as well as their futures. These were trying times in America. The people of Colorado had escaped a large portion of the governmental changes that were taking place all over the world, and Taylor assumed it was because of its remote location. It was hard for the United States of America to admit that they were no longer the superpower of the world. The nation of America had slid down a slippery slope over the last 50 years with its economic challenges and one war after the other, which seemed to go on and on forever. In these modern times, the notion of separate countries began to fragment. The world expressed a desire for all men to embrace one another and no longer call people them or they, but rather us. This new ideology promised no more war. So those who practiced patriotism to a certain flag or devotion to a certain god would either embrace the new error or die. There was no longer United States or Great Britain or France or Iraq or Israel. There would be no longer Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, or Jews. There was no longer socialism, democracy, or monarchies. The world was coming under one banner and had elected one of the most gifted men on the planet. His name was El Bailey Lucius Mahatman Cohen. The ease and grace of this man to persuade people of all nations was something to behold. His gift was speaking, reasoning, convincing, and dialogue. He made all men think. For the first time in centuries, it seemed that all men were able to think and to say the same things. The world owed this magnificent man its loyalty and praise. And that is what El Bailey received. The world worshipped him and fell at his feet. It wasn't long before implants were placed in the hands or heads of every loyal citizen of the world. These would allow this gentle and caring government to watch over and protect its loyal citizens. Taylor was the poster child of El Bailey. 
He admired this new world leader and looked forward to the sweeping changes that were sure to come to the world and finally to Colorado and then to Animal Forks. As the hour hand clicked on the number seven, Taylor stepped to the microphone and the crowd stood to their feet and gave the new mayor a standing ovation. Everyone in Animal Forks could sense that they were moving into something amazing. This mayor not only had the site, but embraced it himself and with the rest of the town. Taylor tried to quiet the crowd, but the more he protested, the louder they cheered. Finally, the crowd slowly curbed their enthusiasm so that the meeting could get underway. Wow, Taylor began. Thank you so much for your support and your love. It's so wonderful to live in a community like Animal Forks. With that, the crowd stood again with another ovation. Please, please, Taylor said, holding his hands up. After another minute of applause, Taylor continued. As most of you know, we wanted to have this town meeting because this truly is a day of enlightenment. We no longer live in the dark days of religion and patriotism. We no longer are plagued with closed-minded generations and opinionated masses. We now are all under one banner, and it's a banner of acceptance and love, Taylor shouted. Once again, the crowd stood to their feet. Taylor continued after their cheers died down. We have seen our new world leader, El Bailey Lucius Mahatman Cohen, take this splintered earth and move humanity into a new world order. Animal Forks is part of that movement. There is no doubt that our leader, El Bailey, is anointed. We have all seen the anointing on him, have we not? We have seen him perform what most would consider miracles by understanding the evil that has taken over this world, and he has eradicated that evil by pulling us all together. Now, I'm not going to beat around the bush with what this meeting is all about. All of you know that if you've lived in Animal Forks for any time at all, that this is a wondrous place. It's a place where miracles happen. I have spoken to our local historian, John Drummond, and he's informed me that every group who has settled in Animal Forks has been aware of the gifts of one another. Why should we be any different? Do you know what those before us were able to accomplish? What I am proposing is that a census will be taken. Each citizen will fill out a questionnaire that my staff and I have prepared and turn those forms into the city hall no later than one month from today. We can begin immediately working on networking our gifts and talents for Animal Forks. The room was buzzing with men and women talking back and forth, affirming what Taylor was proposing. Everyone except Bobby and Brendan Baines and their families, John and Sean Drummond, and Reverend Jason Phillips, who was the retired minister of the faithful. Brendan couldn't quit thinking about Beth Hell and his story of Bailey, who had invaded the Garden of Elohim and had done something terrible to the queen. Bethel did not complete his story to Brendan, but the coincidence was too real. What was the odds of Bailey returning to this earth uninvited to destroy mankind from the face of the entire planet? Reverend Phillips was a burnout relic of what he once was. When he was younger, he didn't allow anyone to intimidate him when it came to his beliefs. But in these dangerous days, with the attack on all religions and it seemed Christianity that was at the pinnacle of that attack, he found it more and more difficult to stand against the opposition. He was 70 years old and had pastored the faithful congregation for 40 years before Reverend Calloway took over. He was so disillusioned by those who called themselves the faithful. Reverend Phillips was a student of eschatology, and he believed that the world was in the middle of some grave changes. 
He tried to warn the congregation of the faithful, but little by little, people began to get a little less influenced by the good reverend especially, since most of them started getting the chips in their hands or foreheads. He noticed a real difference in those who took the chip and those who did not. Now, most of the town had a chip in their hands. John Drummond was familiar with what Reverend Phillips taught. He had attended church with his family before he was divorced. When Vivian took the chip and John expressed his anxiety about it, she went off. She couldn't believe how old-fashioned John was. He still believed in that old idea about the mark of the beast. Vivian decided that she didn't want to live with John any longer. She feared the fallout of John's disloyalty to the New World Order. So, Taylor continued as he pecked the microphone, making sure everyone could hear him, I have some exciting news for you before you go home. Little by little, everyone settled down. I would like for all of you to take your chip and cue them to number 181818. Everyone raised their hands, and some programmed the chip in their heads. John shivered with dread. Immediately, the screen on stage and the screen on their palms came to life with a huge image of El Bailey. The crowd roared with approval as they continued with their hands raised. The scene he was seeing was reminiscent to the Germans when Hitler first came to power. El Bailey was a middle-aged, attractive man, slightly gray around his temples, and was wearing a casual half-dishaki. Hello, my children. El Bailey spoke English with a heavy foreign accent, although his lineage was not public knowledge. The crowd cheered. I would like to thank you for placing your trust in Mayor Jones. I know we all live in precarious times, but I am hopeful for our future. It is with leaders like Taylor that we will make our brave new world, excuse the reference to Huxley's book, he chuckled. Truly a new world, the crowd cheered. Mayor Jones has informed me of the unusual situations that you have in Animal Forks. I cannot tell you how excited I am to join you in exploring the wonderful gifts that are in your community. You must know that there is nowhere else in the world like your little piece of heaven. I am interested in joining your small community if you will have me. El Bailey continued to smile. The response was total shock and then pure elation. The citizens of Animal Forks couldn't believe their luck. The ruler of the world coming to Animal Forks and not only coming, he said, joining. There was unrestrained joy as people began to hug one another and pat one another on the back. Some were so overcome with emotion that they were crying. There were only few who didn't share the enthusiasm of the citizens of Animal Forks. And one of those was Mayor Taylor Jones. He tried to keep that cheerful smile on his face. But Taylor enjoyed the attention and affection from the community. He wasn't in any hurry of sharing that attention. Maybe share wasn't the correct word. Taylor knew that once El Bailey arrived, he would just be another fish in the sea or just reduced to a gopher for the world leader. He could only imagine what Animal Forks would become if the leader of the world joined this small town. El Bailey continued, You, of course, are sworn to secrecy. You know my safety is at stake here. There will be a few inconveniences that many of you will have to deal with, but I hope that our mutual interest in Animal Forks will always be our main focus. With all of this, I know you are as excited as I am. So until our next visit, may the forces that are with Animal Forks continue to be with me and you as well. With that, the large screen and the palm screens went blue. The audience rose to their feet and roared with applause. Someone began to chant, L, 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 as the rest of the crowd took it up. They raised their fist in the air, hitting down on every beat. 
The Baines looked around and tried to discreetly walk out, smiling and nodding as they went. A few others were trying to do the same, and Brendan noted that these were the people in Animal Forks who did not have the transplant. Another couple was trying to find their way out before the crowd adjourned, and that was Billy and Susan Davis. Billy's nerves had really been getting to him lately. Trying to hold his business together and staying in contact with Juan Alvarez wasn't easy. He was finding it more difficult to hide his thoughts from those who had the sight, but that was the least of Billy's worries. He had been haunted every night since he'd been in Animal Forks, and the incidents were getting more intense and more often. He looked awful, and Susan had made comments about his shaking and his skin color. She wanted him to see a doctor, but Billy knew that the only thing that would cure him is to do what his phantom wanted him to do. He knew that the first thing he had to do tomorrow was to go and see the Drummond boy and find out what he knew. Hello, this is Marilyn. Thanks for joining my podcast, Biblical Teaching with a Bite. I hope you're enjoying hearing the book as much as I'm enjoying reading it to you. Bible teaching and writing are a passion of mine. Your continued support will help me to continue to do them. When you support me, I'm able to bring you more Bible studies like Mind Over Matter, Five Laws of the Harvest, and the Teachings of the Tabernacle. In the future, I'm hoping to teach on the Song of Solomon, the love story between Christ and the Church, the names of Jehovah, the Feast of Yahweh, and what they mean in biblical prophecy. And I've also been writing a book to pastor's wives on how to be a great pastor's wife in a small church. This one is near and dear to my heart. You don't have too many self-help books in small settings these days, but we all start small, or most of us do. A few start big, but most of those that do don't have any depth. Well, that's another teaching in and of itself, right? If you could support me, or if you believe in what I'm doing, I would appreciate it if you'd reach out to me and give me whatever you can. No amount is too small. You can support this ministry through Venmo by downloading the app, and then give to Marilyn Darty at Marilyn-Darty-1, or go to paypal.me forward slash Marilyn Darty. Also, please check out my website, MarilynDarty.com. You can also buy my books off of Amazon.com if you like dystopian or apocalyptic books. Then the Magic Earth series is for you. Magic Earth, Savage Earth, and Barren Earth. We've been reading Blood Moon Over Davy County, and I'm writing the sequel to that book, The John Stones of San Luis, which will be in print sometime this fall. But I'll put out a teaser on here before that. Let me hear from you. Log on to my podcast and contact me. If you're a fan or you have a question about one of my Bible lessons, well, let's have a dialogue online. I'm sure some of our listeners would be interested. And remember, God loves you. And here's the important thing. God loves this great, big, beautiful world. Chapter 8. They're Coming. The year 2049. John and Sean Drummond walked home from the town meeting with not too much to say. They were both lost in their thoughts. Since Sean had gone into the forest, his father seemed to be troubled. Dad, are you mad at me? Sean asked, concerned. No, not at all. You're a good boy, son. 
Everybody skips school at least once in their life, John said, while walking with his head down, then looking up at Sean and pointing at him. But I don't want you to do that again. Oh, don't worry, Dad. I've learned my lesson, Sean said, while walking side by side with his father who was looking at the sidewalk. They were quiet for a few minutes more while the two of them were lost in their thoughts and listening to the crickets on that warm summer night. Uh, Sean, John needed to start this conversation, and he was trying to choose his words without alarming his son too much. Yeah, we need to talk about what happened to you. John continued walking, but slower so that they could finish the conversation before they got home and Sean finds an excuse to go to his room. Okay, Sean was feeling a little apprehensive now. I know you told me about the centaur, how they questioned you and how angry their leader was. Yeah, that's right, Sean replied. Well, I need you to tell me again. I don't want you to leave out one detail. I want to know everything about that meeting. It's real important, Sean. I want you to remember what they said, what they looked like, how you got to their forest, where they took you, and even the packing order of the place. John didn't want it to sound like he was interrogating his son, but he needed to know about the centaurs because Sean was privy to information about these centaurs. I think I was pretty thorough about my description. I don't think I left anything out, Sean said, obviously concerned. He really didn't want to disappoint his father, but he didn't know what else he needed to tell him. You said the constellations were not the same, John asked. That's right, Sean said. Do you think you could recall what you saw? Could you draw some of the patterns, his dad asked. Maybe, Sean looked up at the sky and noted the position of the stars. You see, Sean, there may be two or three explanations for the constellations. If you and I live in the same spot on the earth, we'll go through all the constellations in a year's time. But it's so gradual, you really don't notice it. There's also another possibility, and that is if you don't recognize any of the constellations and the stars were so foreign, you could have been in a different dimension or a different time. The stars do move, but they move so slowly to us that we'd never see a change in the constellations during our lifetime. But thousands and thousands of years ago, the sky would have looked quite different. Cool, Sean said thoughtfully. He needed to remember what they looked like. He made a mental note to try to remember their position and draw them for his dad. When you walked into the woods and you said you saw the centaur, what happened before you saw them? You said you saw a deer and her fawn, but was there anything else? It doesn't matter how trivial it sounds. I saw the deer and her fawn, but they got scared and ran away. Why? What scared them? John continued. There was something behind them. I heard the twig break, and that's what scared them away. Sean didn't know if it meant anything. Hmm, John thought. Interesting. He needed to speak to some of the old-timers from the forest up there and see if they had a similar tale. If he could piece together something similar in everyone's story that just may be the answer to this mystery. Why is it so important, Dad? Even if they are in a different time, they can't come here. Gabriella said as much. She said she couldn't come to our forest or something might happen to her. I don't think we have anything to worry about. Sean tried to reassure his dad. You said they were angry. They were warriors. You also said that they were Nephilim, John continued. Yes, but what is Nephilim? Sean asked. John hesitated for a moment, not wanting to alarm Sean. But since his son had been held by these creatures, he wanted Sean to know how dangerous the situation was. Some Bible scholars imply that the Nephilim descended from fallen angels. 
These fallen angels joined the rebellion with Lucifer in heaven and tried to overthrow Yahweh. God banished them from heaven along with Lucifer. They started families with the women who were born to men, and their offspring was evil. They were giants and turned the world into corruption. God had to wipe mankind off the face of the earth because they became so corrupt. He sent a flood to destroy them. So these Nephilim, you believe, are the same creatures that are in the Bible? Yes, I do. And if Lucifer has anything to do with it, I'm afraid we're all in trouble. There are just too many coincidences in Animal Forks right now. And one thing I know about coincidences is that there are none, just appointments. Sean and John Drummond had arrived at their cabin. The front porch light was on, and as they climbed the stairs to the porch, they saw something sitting in front of the door. John reached down to pick up the article, and when he brought it up to the light, Sean recognized the horn that Mikhail had blown the day they met. Attached to the horn was a white piece of bark, and written in charcoal were two words, We're coming.